Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Live this morning at Mingara for the 2022 Regional Academies of Sport Coach Conference. Alongside me, Ian Moose-Rebilliard, the main man from the Central Coast. Uh, basketball legend, of course, with the Sydney Kings. And we've had Brad McGee on. Wow, as if that wasn't good enough. So gold medalist from Athens. Have a look who's uh, to the left of me at the moment. An absolute superstar. Normally I do a standing O, but right now it's not a standing ovation. <laughs> I'm just bowing at the feet of Kerry <laughs> Potter. And we'll do the standing O. Oh, I am. <laughs> my, How awesome. My I get goodness. to sit down and, and you guys just all like kneel in front of me. Can I have some caviar? And, <laughs> and uh, maybe wave like one of those uh, kind of feather boa kind of things. Oh, yes. And feed me some grapes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Hey, so recently we've seen you on SAS Australia, but I tell oh. you, I, I, I've got to start at the 2000 Olympic Games on the sand. I watched that footage again today and you know, I had a tear in my eye watching it, <laughs> the, the way you guys collapsed. You're, you're up against the Brazilians who had a record that was absolutely amazing yeah, against they, you guys. They'd won every event, I believe, right up until the Olympics for the two years leading into the 2000 Games. So they were the definitely the number one, the hot favourites, the gold medal favourites. And we'd played them 17 times and we'd won one time. And it was only three months before the Games that we won that event. So the very next week they beat us back. But it was just that little bit of taste. The door opened a little bit for us, and we believed. That was the last little bit that made us believe that we could do it. Yeah, I want to talk more about that, but let's just backtrack, because did they knock you out of Atlanta, the Brazilian team? A Brazilian team, but not those girls, yeah. So we beat one of the girls that knocked us out in Atlanta. We beat her in the semifinal in Sydney, so we got a little bit back yeah. on one of them. Yeah, now that's unlike any event we've ever seen. So I think it may have been the first event at the 2000 Games, and it bursts on our TV screens, <laughs> and everyone's going, this is incredible. What is this with all the drums and the music and the sand and the dancing? And, yeah, it's a pretty emotional uh, type of environment. It's the culture of our sport to have a lot of music. Still at the Olympic Games, they pump the music, you know, between points, and it's just what we're used to. Well, it, yeah. just, it looks like that amphi amphitheatre's just a party. You know, I liken <laughs> it to the Phoenix Open where they have that... <laughs> cauldron hole you know the par three and I can still reflect back and I could only imagine what it was like for you walking into that gold medal playoff uh, that gold medal game well I don't know if you can imagine how bloody nervous we were <laughs> well it was the first match actually that we walked out onto the sand in Bondi Beach that was the the most freaky um, moment where you know 10,000 people you walk in and they just they come off their seats and they're screaming at the top of their voice and like literally we're just frightened <laughs> frightened out of our bikinis we nearly lost our first match we nearly lost it because we is, were so nervous is it true that uh, yourself and Natalie you actually kind of spent a few years apart after Atlanta and then regrouped tell us about that yeah well after Atlanta we thought we were you know the bee's knees and we were so good because we'd brought home a medal a bronze medal um, and we started to not train as hard and and probably not put in as much effort 
and we started our results went backwards a little bit so we split up for a short time we thought we could do things better with other people and then Natalie really I guess matured in a sense because she's 10 years younger than me in that time and I played with a girl who was more my age and and maturity level well not maturity but leadership level so I kind of settled into a a more of a uh, relaxed kind of partnership and Natalie came up and you know we were peers by that point but before that was Kind of like I was the big sister, she was the little yeah. sister. Can I quote something before you go, Moose? And it's uh, Denzel Washington. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Ooh. And, and Ease is one. a greater threat to progress than hardship. Yeah, well, I mean, Brad was talking about this, that, you know, sometimes the focus is too much on just on the winning. By the sound of what you did, moving away from, from that, provided you probably a, 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 a clearer focus on what you wanted yeah. out of your sport? Well, we both, I think we both kind of changed in that time. Um, and we we came to the point where by the time we got back together, we were perfect together. Whereas before that, it was a bit lopsided. I was kind of the leader, the coach, the, the big sister, everything. And it got too much for our team. I was getting too bossy. Natalie was not handling that as well. She was maturing as an athlete and we just won a bronze medal. So, you know, she wanted some... I guess, some leadership ability there too. So the fact that she played with somebody who was less experienced gave her that opportunity in that year. And then, yeah, the moment we came back together, we literally just looked at each other. We were warming up for an event in France and we looked at each other and just went, we're home. This is it. It was just, we knew that moment was it. Yeah, and I mean, that must be a very special reunion. Yeah, it was It was fantastic. We ended up finishing second on the world tour that event and it only happened because a couple of the other Aussie girls had injuries so they had to go home and, and fix their injuries which kind of shook up the teams and so we had that opportunity we just looked at each other and said now or never well with the world tour I mean obviously you spend a lot of time in hotel rooms just give us a snapshot of that the travel <laughs> <laughs> well there was this one time where I remember we were discussing a particular loss and yeah things were getting quite heated between Natalie and I, I remember getting up off the bed and walking to the bathroom but I turned around and she's right there next to me and I just thought we were going to almost have a punch up you know so things can get really heated because there's just two of you there's no substitutes and um, yeah we, we found a lot of ways and I'm going to talk about those today in the conference we found a lot of ways to really work together as a team um, and we we did that with our coaches we had three coaches we had a volleyball coach a conditioning coach and a mindset coach yeah what I, what I find amazing is Brad said earlier about a safe encouraging environment in cycling what you're saying is at times it's very volatile <laughs> absolutely because I mean you know Brad you've got your your bike it doesn't answer back. <laughs> Natalie does, and so do I. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be, but it can also be absolutely amazing. And, you know, we worked really, really hard in those two years leading up to the Sydney Games on every part of our, our relationship, our game, everything. We just we ticked every box and dotted every I, crossed every T. We didn't leave anything to chance. So we, we were we, – we got to the point where – we were Olympic gold medalists before we played that match because yeah. we had to be. Let's not forget, too, that these are two women that have had to be self-promoters. So yep. at every single level to promote their sport, to they used to go to the media and say, hey, come and, come and watch us. Yeah, Because absolutely. the media weren't going to them. Yeah. Uh, it's what I've spoken about a long time, particularly for regional areas. I think sports and athletes have got to be proactive 
to further their career. Well, we found that actually just talking to Natalie off 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 air. You know how how we uh, carry. Sorry, how we um... <laughs> get it all the time, Steve. <laughs> oh no, that's moose. Yeah. <laughs> just how we can build the numbers in the sport because. You know, you go back to Sydney 2000, you really, you guys put the sport on the map, but it's still a struggle to get the actual mm. talent depth we need in the sport. So how do we yeah. go about that? I think it starts in the schools, absolutely, and in the regions, of course, because that's where, you know, the passion for the sports, where I started in school, you know, and that's where I got the passion. I was actually six foot tall already at 15 and quite awkward and, and self-conscious. And when I found volleyball, I found my home. I was like, oh, everyone else or people like me because I'm tall in this environment and maybe I can be bo- really good at this sport and wow. yeah and that's that's actually the reason I started playing volleyball. I tell you you sound just like Nicola McDermott who's oh, here okay. l- later on today so Nicola 25 won silver in the high jump in yep. Tokyo her coach Matt Horsner will be here but Nicola was bullied at school or earlier in her life because she's so tall. Yeah, so, yeah. And oh, I, know, I know you had the same thing. Yeah so. and I have a funny last name Pothast. You take the H and the T out and there's a pot and a <laughs> bum name. Yeah, so I got teased, you know, for being a, a German migrant, you know, a child from a German migrant family and, you know, being tall. And then I was sensitive on top of that. So it affected me and I'd cry. And yeah, so when I found volleyball, it was just the best thing ever. Are you saying you're a Cancerian? I am. <laughs> How did you know that? Hey, uh, by the way, uh, your first, the very first time you went to volleyball, you were like an added extra with your brother. That's right. You, he didn't even want you on court. No, no, no. He said to me, Kerry, we've got this game of social volleyball. Can you just fill in? He said, we have to have six people between the lines on the court. And when the whistle blows, just get out of the way so we can play each point. But we need you to be that sixth person. So Spare that's will. Yeah. And at the end of it, he was the one that kind of said to me, wow, well, yeah, you, you might be all right at this sport. Do you want to come to my club team? And then as soon as the club team saw me tall, six Six foot skinny went, yeah, we'll teach you how to play. And then I was really fortunate. I had great coaches uh, in Adelaide where I grew up, really good coaches, and that was the key. That was absolutely the key to my success. Kerry, probably the same question I asked Brad earlier. Do you now reflect back on those lessons that those early coaches had on you? 100%. And I, when I'm coaching, I do the same thing. Uh, so I had a really, I had a tough love coach, my one of my state coaches, and she was a national team player before she became the coach. And yeah, she was Sue Dancy in Adelaide, and she was absolutely tough love, and that's kind of what I become became when I was coaching as well. You know, I I have fun with my players, but at the same time, I expect that you know I'll crack the whip on them. And we had this drill. We called it the blue lip drill. She would keep us running around the court, diving for balls, just one person at a time, throwing the balls everywhere until literally your lips went blue. And then it was, okay, switch, next person. You, uh, you're, you're a genuine hero of mine and always have been. Oh. <laughs> so I love watching you on SAS Australia. You're number 13. Oh, I, that was the only number. When they gave me that number, I reckon my heart just dropped. I just went, why do I have to be the unlucky 13? So you're flying the flag, not, yeah. not just for women, but for middle-aged Australians. Uh, yeah, we love watching you in action, and you're so mentally tough, and your body is breaking down on oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us about that experience. Look, it was it was something that I couldn't ignore when I Yana Pittman actually sent me a text message I woke up one morning and she got up early obviously and said it was about 7 a.m said you know they're looking for another female retired athlete to fill the the last couple of spots Um, there's 11 weeks before we we start 
you know, we go on course and I actually wrote out like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm too old. I'm broken. I can't do it. And then I sat with it for a sec. I sat in that that moment and I was just lying there in bed going, oh, God, if I say no to this, I'm never going to get asked again. And what an opportunity. And I've got 11 weeks. Maybe I can train. And then my mind just started going. And I'm like, I started working out my training program. Within 24 hours, I'd written down every single person that I needed to work with from physios through to nutritionists, you know, where I would eat, how many times I'd train, what I'd needed to do to train to you know, to, to help with my knees. And it was just, yeah, it, it was just such an incredible opportunity, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, I think you learn a lot from it. And speaking of Yana, like, you know, it's, it's devastating that sometimes the media portrays athletes and they spin this narrative. And I, I feel like that happened to Yana. It did early on in her career, absolutely. Someone, she got really hammered. So, such an amazing athlete yeah. and so driven. She's and so driven. Yeah, and look at what she's done now. So I'm glad oh. that she has flipped the script. Oh, she was incredible on the course. She wasn't just there for herself. She was there for everybody as well. She was a real team player because of her her um, medical background. She was helping everyone with injuries, and boy, we had a lot of them. <laughs> she was like fixing us up in triage every day after each um, each particular activity we had cuts and grazes and yeah it was all happening but she was amazing and she made it through to the last day unfortunately she didn't get picked she was a bit disappointed um but she yeah she's a beast hey before we talk about what you're hoping for today you mentioned about people seeing the sport and identifying talent we were down at manly last weekend and we were also there over the easter weekend did a couple of ocean swims and when you walk along uh, the manly esplanade there's a lot of eyeballs seeing beach volleyball. There's all nets set up there, and I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of sports don't have that opportunity, do they? So it's right there on your doorstep. Yeah, and the funny thing is it's right there on your doorstep, yet we still fight for sponsorship dollars. We still fight for funding, you know, through the Sports Commission and everything. It's really difficult. It, it is one of the most popular sports on the northern beaches for sure. We have, I don't know, about eight permanent courts on weekends. They set up another 10 or 12 temporary courts and the beach is just covered with people learning how to play beach volleyball from all ages. It's a real social sport and a great lifestyle sport. And I think over COVID, with so many people on the northern beaches specifically staying home, they needed something to do at lunchtime. Well, you know, living on the central coast, one of one of our greatest natural assets is our, the, the beach environment. But you don't see a lot of beach volleyball courts set up and you'd go, come on, Central Coast Council, here's a great opportunity just to get it, get kids active, get people active. And if you go to Hawaii or places like that, it just California. seems to be entrenched yeah. in yeah. their uh, psyche. It is. And again, it starts in schools because obviously in America there's big um, high school uh, indoor and beach volleyball followings and culture and then it just grows from there and the Australian AVP which is the the professional beach volleyball tour runs all around the country so you know it's it's got a massive culture America and Brazil are the two biggest countries or they always have been but now all the rest of the world is catching up but for us to keep catching up we need more courts exactly Moose we need more courts on beaches around the country and they're so easy to put up you just you know people can bring their own net even as long as we got the posts up up, we're good to go. Yeah, I say that about a sport that I love that both my kids play, and that's water polo. Like, yes. uh, I, I believe, like in parts of Europe uh, on the Mediterranean, you'll see water polo goals, like soccer goals, and so people are exposed to the sport. Hey, can you share the story you just told us off the air? Because I've got a coaching business where I help people with their public speaking and presenting. Now, the night before the gold medal game, what happened? 
So a few days after the Olympics, we were asked that question. So a journalist asked Natalie and I, what were you thinking the night before? And Natalie just said, look, I barely slept. I was awake all night. And I said, oh, yeah, so was I. And that was the first time we'd discussed it because we're sleeping in the same room, obviously. And we tried not to keep each other awake. We needed to get some good rest before the gold medal match. And then the journalist said, well, so you're awake all night. What were you thinking? And Natalie said, I was actually practicing my victory speech. And I looked at her and said, so was I. (laughs) And so for me, that was the proof that we had so much belief that we were going to win that day. Everything we had done, everything I'm going to talk about today at the conference, everything we had done led to that point where we had 100% belief that we were going to take it out the next day. But in, in... any case, we were going to play our absolute best, our, our gold medal best on that day, um, and it was like the you know the really the final piece of the puzzle was the belief. But to be able to look past that big moment at that point was the supreme confidence. You know, we we knew what was going to happen after. We kind of already painted the picture of what was going to be, happen after that point. I mean, to be so closely aligned with Natalie the night before and then obviously the result you had, you know, it doesn't happen by chance. And you were saying that the Brazilian team had beaten you, I think, 16 of the 17 games, you know. So you must still hold that so treasured uh, in your in your repertoire. Yeah, absolutely. Look, those two girls from Brazil were incredible. They had led the tour. They were teaching us how to play, basically, uh, for many years leading up to that. And, and, you know, I'm really sorry that they didn't get the gold medal. They've played again in the, pre- in the next Olympic Games and came second again. Uh, so never, they never got an Olympic gold medal together. They'd won every other event. They'd won so many, so much prize money over the years, but they didn't get that coveted gold medal. But we... I believe what won us that gold medal wasn't because we were in front of Australian crowd. That nearly derailed our gold medal. It was because of our belief on that day. Yeah, yeah. I often think that maybe the home court advantage was that little edge that, that you guys had, but seriously, no, that it wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't. It derailed our men's team at the time. They really freaked out and lost their first match, and that just put them on a, a road to disaster. They were hoping to do a lot better. I think they finished ninth or something, but they were hoping to do much better than that. So, uh, Brad earlier, Brad McGee, he spoke about maybe retiring too early. How about for you? I don't want to say how old. I, <laughs> no, I, I went to. I kept going and going yeah, and going yeah. and going. I don't want to say how old you were when you won. That's all right. 35. Yeah. I was 35 when we won. I'm 56 now. I'm almost 57, believe it or not. Um, can't. Yeah, I can't even. Yeah, I still feel like I can go out there and play, but my body won't let me. I've had seven knee surgeries, so I can barely run across the street if the car if a car's coming. <laughs> so do, don't run me over. Do you ever get asked who's the greatest of all time in beach volleyball? I would know that. That would be Kerry Walsh and Misty May in the women's. Absolutely. They won three Olympic gold medals, the three previous to ours. Oh, sorry, the three after ours. So they won Athens, Beijing and London. And then Misty retired. In between that, Kerry had two kids. So Kerry, the same name as me, same spelling, which is pretty pretty unusual. Two Kerrys of gold medals in beach volleyball. Um, but, yeah, Kerry Walsh, Misty May, they had an incredible career, long-running career. Yeah, I find this interesting too that even way back then you're fighting the good fight for women's sport so are you happy with the way that beach volleyball's evolved and and I'm sure you're happy with the way that women's sport in Australia has evolved oh it's great to see women's sports um getting more airtime however I rarely do read the paper these days because everything's online right but I did have the paper a couple of times and I was still really disappointed to see that there was one tiny tiny article about netball 
and it's only ever netball, no other women's sport, and all the rest of it is men's sport. So still really disappointed about that, but it's great to see cricket and football and AFL, you know, AFL all those rugby, everything is bringing in women's competition and really going strong. But Natalie and I had to fight a little bit of um, sexism, I guess, with our sport because people always pointing out, oh, you're playing in bikinis. But, but we're at the beach, that's the culture, that's how it grew in the world. And the other thing is people don't forget, remember... People don't remember. People don't forget. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> it Kathy, is early. Yeah. Kathy Freeman actually ran on the track in Sydney in the same outfit almost that we were playing in. Yeah. But she had shoes on. What's the difference? Why do people always ask us, is it weird that we have to play in bikinis? Uh, gee, I, I love that you brought that up because, uh, yeah, we haven't even gone down that path. You said that you're so in your own lane at the Olympics. Huge thank you to Ian Moose Rebilliard, OAM, who's joining us, filling in for Michael Butner. And everywhere you look, there are superstars. Paul Smith is coming up soon, the Sydney Kings owner. We've had Brad McGee on the show, gold medalist from Athens in 2004, and the legendary Kerry Pothast OAM, who won gold in Sydney in 2000, also joining us this morning and, and filming me at the moment or filming herself. No, I'm filming <laughs> you, Steve. <laughs> I'm all about social media, right? And, I mean, while we've got it, we've got to use it. And when we are in sports that are, I guess... You know, not as high profile of some as some as the, some of the other sports. I think it's important to just you know keep people reminded hey, of where we're at. You were saying just a moment ago how much you love events like this because they're grassroots coaches who are yeah hoping to be on a pathway maybe to Brisbane in 2032. But even if they move from regional areas to the New South Wales IES, then that's a huge achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the important part is is the influence that they're going to have on those young athletes that are coming out of the Central Coast, but out of any area. You know, I was so um, lucky when I was young. I had some great state team coaches, club team coaches in Adelaide, and that really set me on my path. Are you looking forward to seeing Michael Scott later on today? So involved with the British Olympic team. Uh, so they have an incredible London Games and then also involved with New Zealand uh, in their path- pathway to Tokyo. Oh, it's fantastic to hear from other coaches and other athletes. I mean, I love, that's how I kind of got into speaking about my journey is because I got to listen to other people and went, wow, okay, so I, I love to share. I love to teach. I wanted to be a teacher before I became a full-time athlete. And so I, I love that I can teach people something and leave something behind and that I can also learn from other other speakers, other coaches particularly. What, what sports are you watching yourself at the moment? What do you love? <laughs> That's funny because I don't actually – I prefer to play sports yeah. than, than watch them. Um, my partner at the moment is very much into rugby league, so I do end up having to sit on the sideline and, and watch a bit of that. <laughs> I went to an AFL match, Sydney Swans and Brisbane. Brisbane unfortunately beat the Swans last week. Um, but, look, I, I do love to watch other sports. I'm just starting golf, actually. He's teaching me golf, and apparently I've got a decent swing, so I'm looking forward to perhaps starting a new, new sporting career in my 50s. At the start <laughs> of this interview, you, you mentioned about you know, yourself and Natalie spent time apart. You came back together. There were volatile moments. You thought there was going to be a punch-up at one stage. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> well, we've got it on the record. Oh, no. Yeah, look, there was definitely tough times. There's only two of us on the court. There's no substitutes. So we had to work really hard on our relationship, um, on the way we communicated together. We're two very different people, 10 years apart in age. So it was very difficult at times, but it was also 
amazing. You know, it was also amazing when we won, when we were, so, we were so in sync on the court, which I think was the most important part. It didn't matter what happened off the court, although we had to work on that, but we were so in sync on the court. We could almost read each other's minds, and I think that's what made us such a great team. You, uh, you're inducted into the International Volleyball Hall of Fame. You yes. fly to America for that event, but you're also named as one of the two best teams of the decade. Yeah, is, what a is, special... Is that one of the proudest achievements? That is a really special achievement. Natalie and I were named with the Brazilians who we beat in Sydney because of our achievements in that decade, winning two Olympic medals. I guess they couldn't look past that. We actually only won a couple of other... We only won three other tournaments out of the probably, I don't know, 50... No, 90 or something that we'd played. We'd, we had many bronze and, and silver medals, but, you know, obviously... Getting the gold, it was it was something really difficult um, in those years. These days, there are there is such a depth of talent, so it's really difficult for our Aussies to even make it into the main events and then to try and get into the medal rounds. Gee, I love what you say because really, it's like the holy grail. So it's so hard to win. I say this: you mentioned about rugby league. It's so hard to reach a grand final, let alone win it. Mm. So sometimes the semis are the hardest games you will ever play. I think the semis are the hardest games because that's where it can really do your brain in. That's where you can go, we win this, you know, we're in the, we're in the hunt for a medal at the Olympics. Uh, we lose this, we could finish fourth, which is nothing, you know. Well, I think we just saw that in, in the sport that I'm closely associated with, with basketball. You know, for Tassie to beat Melbourne in Melbourne in that semi the pressure just compounded on Melbourne and the mm. longer that game went on, the needle just kept moving towards Tasmania's favour. Yeah. Obviously, they're in the grand final. And speaking of basketball, we see the Australian team win a medal for the first time ever with, with Paddy Mills and the boys oh, in, beautiful, in, in, wasn't it? in Tokyo. So how, as an athlete and as a team, do you overcome the mindset of we're not playing for gold, but now we're fighting not to come fourth? Yeah, I think you can't think about that. That did us that did us under in Atlanta. We were in the semi-final in Atlanta, we were trying not to lose. Whereas in Sydney, the semi-final, we were just like get out of our way cuz we're on the way to winning gold. Like the semi-final was just a stepping stone. Yeah. It's a, it, we were in a totally different mindset. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love it. And even in that first set against the Brazilians, you guys are down. We were down both sets. We were down by m multiple points. I think the most four points, and it wasn't rally point. It was you had to serve to win a point in those first two sets. If it went to a third, it would be rally, but we never let it go to a third. We won 12-11, 12-10. So we were down, but if I look at the video and I look at our faces, we didn't look like we were losing. We were just like, okay, next point. Okay, next point. What do we do? Next point, next point. And, um, you know, that was tough, and, and my serve was a big big like uh, weapon did, did you serve for the match <laughs> i served the last two balls yeah the second to last was an ace it got us even uh or got gave us match point and at that point like people have asked me what you what are you thinking going back to the line and i look again look at the video because it was so long ago and trying to remind myself of what i was thinking and you know i wasn't thinking anything and that was the key I was thinking a, a particular uh, strategy, as in I'm not going to go for the line this time. I'm going to drill it just as hard, but I'm going to go for the middle of the court because I know the risk is less. If I go for the line, I could go out. Yeah. So that was it. That's all I thought. I went back. I just did it, did but, my routine, did it. And I would think it. you would know that even without watching the video. I'm sure that is yeah. still so very crystal clear in your memory. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think this, the ace before that was almost harder than the last serve. The last serve was just like... Yeah, yeah nailing the coffin. On. Is it always, I mean, 
sometimes when you reflect the great moments, it seems easy because you're in the moment. You're in, you're in the zone, you know, and if somebody could actually one day sell that, <laughs> what, that'd be a million trillionaire. How do you get in the zone? It's, it's a question everybody wants to feel and wants to know, and I don't think we were ever in the zone as much as we were in that match. But it took us five years you know, and, I, and I, I, the Olympics before, the result we had, and the year or so before that that we had together, it took us that long to get to the point where we could be in the zone on that day. Yeah, and, and I'm you. guessing that's the messaging that you'll be sharing with, uh, with the coaches here today. Yeah, as long as they ask such great questions that you've asked <laughs> me this morning. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, just here we've taken up enough of Kerry's precious time. Uh, can we just uh, maybe talk about our mums before we forget to? Uh, so my mum, uh, Mandy Allen, listening on the Gold Coast. Oh, happy in, Mother's Day. She's our number one fan. And uh, over the years, I've realised, apart from just supporting all of us as, you know, athletes when we were younger and now as Masters athletes, she's also become like a, a bit of an aficionado, almost a Bruce McAvaney <laughs> of, of sport. Amazing. So, so she'll often text me at all hours of the day about her favourite events, and she loves Rafael Nadal, so she's, a, she's become a huge tennis fan. But Does she pick her undies out of her shorts and stuff <laughs> as well, <laughs> Rafa? It's uh, an interesting pre-shot routine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I told her we were talking to Brad McGee, she sent me down a photo of him Aww. on the bike. Yeah, so lots of love, Mum, and uh, thanks so much for all your support. She came through the surf life saving period when Grant Kenny was at his absolute best and won the junior and senior Ironman. That was in 1980. So, uh, Amazing. Love you, Mum, and uh, I won't see you tomorrow, but uh, we'll do a FaceTime and uh, have a great day. Moose? Oh, well, my mum sadly passed away, but uh, Lurleen Rebilliard, uh, there were six of us, so uh, <laughs> I guess she was a... <laughs> How would I say this? Sunday mornings, breakfast was always a sports wrap because we were so busy in sport. <laughs> Often, um, you know, my, my brothers and sister, we'd be separated <laughs> depending on uh, the teams that we paired up with or, uh, or what have you. But uh, was a great lady in the, the uh, commitment she made to us in our sporting careers. Um, you know, my brothers in rugby, rowing, netball, basketball, and on it went, even motor racing. So um, our Sunday mornings yeah. were uh, really special. Kerry? Well, my mum also passed away a couple of years ago, but she was my biggest fan. She'd, after the both Olympics, she'd rock up to take a domestic flight somewhere in Australia and ask for an upgrade because her, her, she's the mother of a gold medalist. So she was always ready to, to try and cash in on my fame, but in a beautiful way. She would introduce me as her gold medal daughter. And, um, and she also, when I was young, when I was, you know, before I was able to drive, she would take me to training rain, hail or shine. So yeah, mums are very important. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I'm a mother. My son will see me tomorrow afternoon and hopefully he'll have a big present for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of love to my wife Sharon as well. Uh, and yeah, and to Christine. The backbone of the operation and also her mum. So her mum passed when she was 58. So back in 1999 and, uh, you know, just taught me so much about just unconditional love. So a uh, shout out to the late Robin Housen as well.